needed help and you went you worked you got a side job and, and instead of kids just taking the money and buying xbox games or ipods or whatever they actually bought food for the family you might say oh it sounds so terrible that's just the way the world is you got to realize the way we live in the west is not the norm for the rest of the world it's not the norm any of us in here makes fifty thousand dollars a year that puts you in the top one percent of the richest people in the world we're the one percent almost all of us and those of us who aren't the 1%, we're in the top 2%. As people, we tend to get stuck where we are. It's not easy to understand other parts of the world because we function so differently. Today, Pastor Daniel helps us to navigate those confusing parts of Exodus, like slavery and selling children into it. At first read, it's horrifying. But as we'll hear today, it's not the system we're imagining. Context is important. You have to be willing to approach the Bible with the proper perspective. Now, here's Pastor Daniel with part two of his message entitled, Opening the Book of the Covenant. Imagine this. Imagine somebody builds a beautiful altar for sacrifice and they're, they're giving all these offerings. Everyone's like, wow, that's a beautiful altar. Missing the whole point of why it's there. The altar is only amazing because of the God who is being sacrificed to. So we got to be careful we don't put the cart before the horse. And now also, very interesting last verse here, nor shall you go up by steps to my altar that your nakedness may not be exposed on it. Now, you have to realize that in that culture, undergarments were not the norm. This was long before boxers briefs, boxer briefs, or whatever else your thing is. Long before that, and it was very normal in that culture for the priests to wear what was the equivalent of long skirts. And because they didn't have undergarments, and if there was stairs going up to the altar, someone may catch a sneak peek of something they shouldn't see, and it will distract people from worship. So God says, no steps, because I don't want anybody to be distracted. Okay? Now, what's interesting is if you look at the cultures that surrounded the children of Israel, there was all sorts of what they would call cultic sexual practices, where with the worship of the different deities, there was all sorts of temple prostitutes, both male and female. And so you can imagine in that type of a more carnal, quote unquote, worship environment, those steps could be used in a lot of different ways. So God's like, look, we're going to do something brand new here. I don't want people to be rising up to it. I don't want anyone to be distracted from what's going to go on. Now, we move into chapter 21. Now, in chapter 21, verses 1 to 11, this deals with the ideas of servants or slaves. Now, before we begin this section, we have to remember two things. For you and I, in 2013, the 21st century, we're all, when we hear about servants or slaves, our cultural history is that of African slavery, where people, mostly Caucasian people, went to other places, they kidnapped and enslaved people and made them work for life. 
okay? And that is wrong on every level. And we're going to see it in this chapter. It's wrong. Now, when America was founded, they didn't abolish slavery from the beginning. Why? Because the, the colonies were splitting up over that point alone because some Christians read this and said, look, we're allowed to have slaves. And other ones said, no, we're not. And it ended up coming up later when the country almost split over it during the, the Civil War. But listen, what this is talking about is not kidnapping people and putting them in service for life. And we're going to see it right in this chapter. It's going to say, if you kidnap someone, that's capital crime. So when we're looking at this, we need to put this not in our context, but we need to put it in the context in which it was written so that we can understand it. So that's the first thing. Second, don't miss the fact that the children of Israel had just been slaves in Egypt. And the first thing that God starts to put parameters around is the way that they're supposed to allow people to be servants. Don't miss that. They had just been delivered from slavery in Egypt. And now he's saying the very first thing that God starts to talk about in the law is how do we treat people who are servants? Now, you have to realize that in this culture, there was no such thing as corporations, business partnerships that we have in modern time. Virtually all of the business in ancient times were household or cottage industries, which means that each house, people had a skill, people who had these skills, they would have more work. Some people didn't have the same type of skills, right? And so people worked for a household. That's what they did. Now, I'm going to read a little bit, and I'm going to try and qualify as I go, because I don't know how many times, and when I first started reading the Bible, I was like, oh, the Bible condones slavery. How can I even think about this being true? But it was, it's not that the Bible condones slavery. It's just I just don't get it. I didn't get it. So I'm going to read some stuff, and then I'm going to qualify some things. I'm going to help explain how this is an African slavery, and you're going to see it right from the beginning. But if I don't explain everything to your liking, that's why we have the, the text in your questions portion, because I try and get touch all of it, but I know that I can't. So if I miss something, you can always feel free to text it in. If you think I'm wrong, feel free to text that in as well. We could talk about that as well. Notice what it says. Chapter 21, verse 1. Now these are the judgments which you shall set before them. If you buy a Hebrew servant, he shall serve six years, and in the seventh year he shall go free and pay nothing. If he comes in by himself, then he shall go out by himself. If he comes in married, then his wife shall go out with him. If his master has given him a wife, and she has borne to him sons or daughters, the wife and her children shall be her masters, and he shall go out by himself. But if the servant plainly says, I love my master, my wife and my children, I will not go free. Then his master, verse 6, shall bring him to the judges. He shall also bring him to the door or to the doorpost. And his master shall pierce his ear with an awl. And he shall serve him forever. And if a man sells his daughter to be a female slave, she shall not go out as the male slaves do. If she does not please her master who has betrothed her to himself, then he shall let her be redeemed. She shall have no right to sell her to a foreign people since he has dealt deceitfully with her. And if he has betrothed her to his son, he shall deal with her according to the custom of daughters. If he takes another wife, he shall not diminish her food, her clothing, and her marriage rights. And if he does not do these three for her, then she shall go out free without paying money. Okay. 
It's a big section. There's a lot in there. First, notice, if you buy a Hebrew servant, a Hebrew servant had four basic ways that they might become a slave of another Hebrew. According to Leviticus 25, 39, in extreme poverty, they might sell themselves to work for somebody. Second, a father may sell his children into servitude. Exodus 21, 7. We're going to get to that in a second. In the case of bankruptcy, a man might become a servant to his creditors. And then finally, if a thief had nothing to pay proper restitution for what they stole, then they could become a servant. Those are the four main ways. Now think about this. So the four ways that someone became a slave is if they couldn't provide for themselves, they were indentured servants to somebody else. Now I want to give you a newsflash. That's what each one of us are today. Because we don't own our houses, we don't own our cars, we don't own our food, we have jobs. And we work for people to pay for our lives. That's the exact same thing. It's the exact same thing. If you didn't have money to provide for yourself, you can say, look, I'm going to go and work for this guy so that this person's business is thriving, mine is not. I'm going to work for him so that I can provide for myself. Parents could sell their children to be servants. You might say, that's horrible. It's actually not horrible. It went on in this country for a long, long time where kids actually had jobs and worked for their families and helped provide. How many of you did that growing up? You said, hey, man, your parents needed help, and you went and you worked. You got a side job, and, and instead of kids just taking the money and buying Xbox games or iPods or whatever, they actually bought food for the family. You might say, oh, it sounds so terrible. That's just the way the world is. You got to realize the way we live in the West is not the norm for the rest of the world. It's not the norm. Any of us in here makes $50,000 a year. That puts you in the top 1% of the richest people in the world. We're the 1%, almost all of us. And those of us who aren't the 1%, we're in the top 2%. So the rest of the world doesn't function the way we function here in America, given the blessings that our nation has received and the opportunities we have. But most of us, the way we function on a daily basis, don't raise your hand, but how many of you would quit your job if you could? I wouldn't, but a lot of us would. I I like what I do, you know? But it's like, if if you didn't have a mortgage payment and and bills to pay and a car payment, if you didn't really love that Netflix subscription and all that stuff, you wouldn't do what you're doing, but you really like all that stuff. You like wearing clothes, and we're happy that you do too. You know, we like wearing different clothes every day and all this stuff. And, you know, we, we work to s- supply all that stuff. That's exactly what's going on here. They called it servants or slaves. But that's exactly the same thing. Now, notice how different this is. If you buy a Hebrew servant, verse 2, he shall serve six years. And in the seventh year, he shall go free and pay nothing. Check that out. Just the way God worked for six days in creating everything and he rested on the seventh day. If you became an indentured servant, you work for six years, seventh year, you just leave and you don't pay anything. So your circumstances or your choice may have you be an indentured servant in that culture, a slave, but after six years, you go free. So this is completely different from African slavery. It's completely different. You worked at six years. At the end of six years, you go free on the seventh year. Notice in verse three, if he comes in by himself, 
He should go out by himself. If he comes in married, then his wife shall go out with him. What that means is whatever you go into your servanthood time with, you leave with. So if you came in as a single person, you leave as single. If you come in married, let's say you're married and you have kids and you fall on hard times and you have a, 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 a somebody you know who's got a great thriving business, you say, look, can I work for you? If you come in with your wife and kids, you leave with them as well. So notice that if you become a slave for somebody in that culture and you're married, your kids and your wife are your own. The slave owner doesn't take them as their own. But now notice what happens. Because the law is meant to deal with the civil, the ceremonial, and the moral components of Jewish culture. Civil, how are we going to be organized? What do we value? Ceremonial, how are we going to worship God? And then, of course, moral, what is right and wrong? This is a civil component, because you can imagine somebody goes in single, but all of a sudden, maybe there's another servant who's working there, and they're like, they're checking each other out over the crop. And they're both servants of this guy, and they're like, hey, um, we'd like to get married. You can, ima- you, guys, you can imagine this happening, right? So look at what it says. Verse 4, if a master has given him a wife, she has borne him sons or daughters, his wife and her children shall be the masters, and he shall go out by himself. You see what happens now. So if there's two people who are servants of a master, and they get married, and it's time for the, for the husband to go free, but the wife is, is the master's, the wife can't leave because she's also a servant until her six years is up. You see, so this is dealing with how does this all work? It'd be kind of like if you're working in a business, imagine you're an investment banker, right? And you're, and you're investing with your boss's money and you make a boatload of money. Do you get to take all the money out? What's the answer? No, unless you're stealing because you started with your master's money. Yeah, you might get a great bonus. See, it just shows the law of how things are working here. So what it says is that if a woman is married to a man, once one of them goes free, the other one has to finish up their time before they're allowed to go free because they're still indentured to their master. Now, notice what happens in verse 5. And this shows how it's completely different, completely different from African slavery. But if a master plainly says, I love my master, my wife, and my children, I will not go free. So now you have somebody who's ready to go free and says, I love working here. This is the best job. I'm doing exactly what I want to do. I love working for this family. This is amazing. Notice what he'll do in verse 6. Then his master shall bring him to the judges. Why? So that's not spur of the moment. He goes before the leaders and say, I really want to do this. I want to commit my life to working for this family. That's not under false pretense. He's not under any sort of... uh, a force by the master. He goes of his own volition and says, look, I want to spend the rest of my life working here in this house. You go to the judges, then you shall bring him to the door of the doorpost and his master shall pierce his ear with an awl and he shall serve him forever. Wow, ear piercing in the Bible. If somebody works for somebody on their seventh year when it's time to go free and they say, look, I love working here. I love this place. I love being a part of this. Then he go to the judge and say, I want to spend the rest of my life working for this family. And then he goes back and now he's a voluntary servant. This is where the concept of the bond servant comes from. The bond servant is free to do whatever they want, but says, I want to stay here. And they got a big old earring in their ear. And anytime you went to a house and you saw the servant with an earring in their ear, they're like, that was not like, a, like just an ornament. That was like, this person is a special servant because he loves serving his master. 
And that's why the apostle Paul and the other apostles and disciples, they called themselves bond servants. Because they're saying, look, I'm free to do whatever I want, but I love my master and I love the family of God and I'm just going to serve them with my whole life. That's where it comes from. So this is for somebody who's been granted their freedom but says, look, I just want to stay working here. And you might say, why would, I, why would you do that? Because, listen, some jobs in that culture were great situations. You're skilled at it. You love doing it. The master took care of you, compensated you very well. It's like a lot. There's some people who are like, you could have retired a long time ago. You'd be like, why would I want to retire? I love what I'm doing. I love everything about what I'm doing. This is great. So why stop? Just keep going. Sure, I could retire, but who'd want to? It's the bond servant principle. Very, very simple. Now, look at what happens in verse 7, because now we get to some specific things about female servants. It says, if a man sells his daughter to be a female slave, she shall not go out as the male servants do. Now, when it talks about a female slave, don't think about sex trafficking. It'll deal with some of the, the morality issues of it. But this is not like sells his daughter to be a prostitute. But in that culture, if you needed help, your kids would work. A man could sell his daughter to be a servant. Now, notice what happens. Because a lot of this idea of a female being a servant is also tied to her being betrothed to the master of the house. Now, in that culture, all marriages were done by arrangement. They're all done by arrangement. A lot more like cultures like India than like America, where you say, hey, I think we love each other, we're going to get married. In that culture, people made arranged marriages. And all husbands paid a bride price. All husbands did. You paid a bride price. Now, people would say, oh, that's so demeaning to women. Actually, no, it's not. You only pay for things that you value. And part of the bride price in that culture was a man showing a woman's family, I am serious about marrying this woman. And you know what? I bet we'd have a lot less divorces in America if we reinstituted the bride price. And I think all of you fathers of daughters are saying, amen, we can bring the bride price back right now. Can you imagine if you're like, oh, you want to you marry my daughter, eh? Okay, yeah, it's going to cost you 100 grand. You'll see how serious the guy is. That's right. That's not demeaning of a woman. It's saying, look, we value her that much. You're showing the family, look, I'm willing to get some skin in the game. I'm willing to pony up because I really love this woman. So, see, we have to think about these things in context because we read it in the West with our limited view of the world, very specific cultural goggles. I would say, oh, this is all so absurd. It's so misogynistic. The Bible hates women. It's like, huh? What universe are you living in? What universe? A bride price was, was a sign of value. And guess what? They didn't pay for husbands neither. So apply that how you want to. Dude, <laughs> it's like, amen, Pastor Daniel, keep going. But look at what happens. So a man tells his daughter to be a slave. And right in verse 8, notice, if she does not please her master, who has betrothed her to himself, then he shall let her be redeemed. So now, a man sells his daughter as a servant. There's betrothal there. But if the guy decides that he doesn't want the woman, he can't just discard her. He has to let her be redeemed by her family. See, this is all about the dignity of women. In that culture where women didn't work, if they weren't attached to a man or to their family, they had no opportunities to do it themselves, saying, look, if you get betrothed, 
he's not happy with you, you can't just discard her. You can't just leave her on the side. You have to let her be redeemed. You have to let one of her family members come and have her back. Beautiful. It's beautiful. The book of Ruth, speaking of this, the idea of the kinsman redeemer. And don't miss the fact that Jesus is our kinsman redeemer. Just as Boaz redeemed Ruth, Jesus comes to redeem his bride, the people of God. Don't miss that. That's just a side note. Just a side note. Notice what happens in the middle of verse 8. He shall have no right to sell her to a foreign people since he has dealt deceitfully with her. So now imagine a man, he pays a bride price. He decides he doesn't want to do it. He doesn't like her. She doesn't make his eggs very well or whatever else the problem is. He can't just get rid of her. He can't sell her to a foreign people. Why? Because he's dealt deceitfully with her. Why? Because he paid the bride price to marry her. And now he's not going to take care of it. Now he's got to take care of her. That's what this is saying. And guess what? You read Near Eastern laws of any culture and there's none like this. There's none. You'll never find the care for women like you find in the Bible in any ancient laws. You'll never find it. Why? Because the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob were the best thing that ever happened to women. Seriously, look at any culture that the gospel is not the foundation of the way they treat women, and you'll see what's going on. We were all totally, absolutely, absolutely upset when we found out what the Taliban did to women in Afghanistan. And that's what happens in cultures where the gospel's not at the core. And listen, I've had people say, well, Pastor Daniel, are you really sure? Have you done the research? Yeah, you look at it. And they'll say, oh, what about places like Sweden? Where Christianity is small, but yeah, even though there's a small number of Christians in Sweden today, look at the foundation of their, of their laws. It's all Christian. It's all there. So, so that Judeo-Christian biblical view, now all of a sudden women have all sorts of care Rights, there's concern for them. They can't be sold. Notice verse 9. And if he has betrothed her to his son, he shall deal with her according to the customs of daughters. He's saying, look, if you betrothed her to one of your sons, you got to deal with her like one of your own daughters. You have to take care of her. Notice verse 10. And if he takes another wife, he shall not diminish her food, her clothing, and her marriage rights. He's saying, look, if a female is sold, to be a man's wife and he chooses to take another wife. Now, we do know in that time, polygamy was normal just because the Bible says it happens doesn't mean that's the way it's supposed to be. We have all, we'll talk about all other laws about that. But listen, the news doesn't condone everything it tells you. It just tells you what's going on. No news agency condoned the bombings in Boston, but they did tell you that bombings in Boston happened. So the Bible... Every time you see polygamy at play, it's always in the negative. It's always in the negative. But he says, look, but if a man does take another wife, he can't diminish her food, her clothing, or her marital rights, which speaks of intercourse between a husband and a wife. He can't diminish her in any way. He still has to provide for all of her needs and still be a loving spouse. I hope you realize that that's kind of, it's kind of powerful. The rights that God gives to women in his newly redeemed People. Verse 11, and if he does not do these things for her, then, he, then she shall go out free without paying money. So if he doesn't do her right, she gets to go free and she doesn't have to buy her way out. Beautiful. Jesus is 
Today, Pastor Daniel clarified the concept of slavery as it's recorded in the Bible. We considered our attitudes towards work in contemporary society, which differ greatly from what we heard in Exodus. In order to maintain our lifestyles, we're forced to work. We're so happy that you're a part of the Jesus is Real Radio family. Jesus is Real Radio is a listener-supported program. We want to let the whole world know that Jesus is real. Your donations help make this possible. You can become a monthly supporter or give a one-time gift by text message. It's easy. Simply text your gift to 855-910-8300. That's 855-910-8300. Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram have become a regular part of our everyday lives. And we want to be sure to encourage you to check out Pastor Daniel's Facebook page, Twitter feed, and Instagram. Log on to JesusIsRealRadio.com and follow the links. Pastor Daniel shares two-minute video messages throughout the week on his Facebook page. Log on to JesusIsRealRadio.com and follow Pastor Daniel. Next time on Jesus Is Real Radio, Pastor Daniel will explain what God has to say about violence and the way the Lord's commandments were intended to protect the people. Only in Jesus are our hearts truly compassionate. You've been listening to Jesus Is Real Radio with Pastor Daniel Fusco of Crossroads Community Church. Pastor Daniel will continue teaching through his series entitled Sinai. Until then, may God bless.